3: welcome to the world soccer talk podcast my name is Christopher Harris and I'm joined by Carter Krishnaya it's been a while since we've done the last episode but we are back part of that I think is in, in, in many ways is this I mean the, the group stage is a marathon um, I've watched every game I've been getting up at 430 every morning uh, so it was a uh, relief when we entered into the final uh, stages of the group stage matches because you mean know, the first kickoff games are at 10 a.m. Eastern and uh man it this this is a tough one just because those games four games back to back to back and and then i mean there's other stuff going on uh, in our lives too but uh so kartik you hanging in there after, through these games thus far
1: yeah uh, other soccer going on also i mean i think about ronaldo and the glazers selling man united and my phone ringing off the hook uh, those couple days after that and its impact on it on everything even my family life so a very, very strange time uh, in this World Cup, kind of heady time uh, also in the sport.
3: Well, the other thing to in with this too also is uh, MLS season pass. Uh, Apple announcing the, the the details about the pricing. Um, and it is... We're, we're probably, we probably won't have time to get into it on this episode. We will discuss it on a future episode. But also even FA Cup happened. Uh, we had the second round of the FA Cup. We had the draw for the FA Cup third round. However most of our attention, uh of you, the listeners, I'm sure, uh as 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 were we, uh focusing on the World Cup. And and we'll talk a little bit uh in a little while about the the United States, uh and their chances. Um we're recording this on Wednesday, of course they play on Saturday against the Netherlands. But before we get to the US and talking about the games themselves, Kartik I, I know this has been a very different world cup in many ways and, and and your viewing experience or your listening experience might be quite different than mine. There's so many different choices available to us. Um, But what have you done thus far? I mean, obviously you wrote that story, which was a great story talking about the uh, kind of pros and cons of Fox's and Telemundo's coverage. But now that we're in over a week uh, after the world cup has started, what's been your way of, of experiencing this world cup?
1: Yeah, Chris, as as time has gone on, and I wrote that article very early. I wrote it as the first set of group games uh, was being finished. uh, And and now we're in the final set of group games as we record this. I think, uh, from my perspective, Fox has gotten progressively more unwatchable as the tournament has worn on. Now, again, I had tried to take the perspective that, okay, let me put myself in the shoes of a normal soccer fan, or sorry, a normal sports fan who doesn't watch Bayern Munich or Manchester United or Manchester City. They, they don't know what goes on at these clubs. And Fox, I think, has done an outstanding job of introducing the World Cup to them and uh, catering to them in the first few days. And, and while Telemundo may be taking the opposite approach or catering more Uh, to to core football fans, and and they've given some great background, actually, on on the countries, right, features on Senegal and Wales, et cetera. I've just drifted back towards ESPN FC, unfortunately. And I know this is something that uh, a lot of our listeners who who, who fill up the listener mailbag, they they don't like me talking about constantly. But I'm getting the analysis I feel I need – to, to fit my personal preferences as a soccer viewer, as a football viewer from the ESPN FC program. And, and you're not getting any analysis out of Fox's studio. You're not getting any discussions about the players. It's like the players are completely new to a lot of the Fox studio team. They're in this sort of vacuum where they, uh, they're not watching these uh, players regularly and so they don't know anything about them. So uh, unfortunately for me, or maybe fortunately, I, mean, I know this is controversial again, Full-time whistle hits, you know, my television is off or I'm off to other stuff outside of uh, football. And then I'm, I'm waiting uh, anxiously on Hulu or on ESPN Plus in the evening for when ESPN FC drops. And Dan Thomas and the gang start digging into these matches because uh, that's where I'm getting my analysis from. That's where I'm getting kind of the stuff I may not notice or I may not see or the points I may want to hear uh, are coming from that program again like in 2018 same thing happened in 2018 but chris uh, i do have to once again say that these are my personal preferences and i understand why fox has done what they've done it's just um even though i defended it a week ago in that article um it's just not for me and 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 they've lost me uh as a viewer as the tournament has gone on
3: I made the sacrifice by watching uh, the first week of coverage every single minute uh, on Fox Sports. So from 4 a.m. to 4 p.m. Eastern time, every single day for a, for a week, it was or, or six days. I think it was maybe maybe it was seven. I, lo- I lost count. Uh, just to experience it, experience what it was like, just to get a good indication of where they're at. To give them again, going in with a, an open mind, um, being encouraged by the list of commentators and hoping for the best but like i've said in previous podcasts ready to have a few laughs and not tr- uh, take it so seriously so after that one week i went ahead and wrote a story a pretty long detailed story at com that goes into uh, infinite detail about what i saw kind of uh, good p- good points bad points and then since then now that th- that one week is done uh, after that, then I started uh, looking at other ways to watch the games, and I've been watching. It's been a mixture; the, still some Fox now and again, but a lot of the games I'm watching is on uh, Telemundo uh, through Peacock, and Peacock has every single game. Um, you mean it t- to me, at the heart of soccer, commentating doesn't really matter. You mean if you're watching the game and and you're hearing. Andres Cantor or Manuel Sol uh, commentating and co-commentating a game. Um, it could be them or it could be somebody else. It or, or it could be John Strong and Stu Holden. But really, at the end of the day, if you have the sound turned up and, and you're just watching the game, um, sometimes you, you're not listening to what they say. Sometimes you're just enjoying the moment and seeing the skill and hearing the crowd noise. So... So for me personally, not speaking or, or or being able to to read much Spanish, uh, I've been watching Telemundo. Now to complement that, um, like you, Kartik, in terms of Fox's coverage, I think Fox's coverage the weakest part of it is the the pre match and the post match, and then post match, depending on what time what time of the day it is, if it's a four p.m. Or a two p.m. to four p.m. Eastern game, sometimes once the game's over, it's done that fox has done fs1's done and then they're off to whatever programming they have so but for the most part watching a lot of the pre-game coverage it is so so light in analysis and anything redeeming to make it worth your listening or watching it's a lot of commercials uh it's a lot of talk about nothing really and here and there even the team lineups the team lineups come out usually about an hour before the game starts, sometimes an hour and 10 minutes before the game starts. Um, so Fox has an opportunity to share the team the team sheets, talk about the, the decisions that the coaches have made. However, it's usually about 20 minutes into the pregame show. So about 20 minutes later than actually uh, those team sheets are available is when they talk about it. And then halftime, again, a lot of commercials, very light in analysis, um, so what i 've done is so watching a lot on Telemundo uh, via peacock, and then for the pre match and the post match i 've been listening a lot to uh, BBC Radio Five live, and um, it 's not geo blocked for the pre match or the post match and it's it 's changed my enjoyment of this competition by probably by about fifty times. Like, I get so much out of the discussion that they have and the analysis and thoughts, except when it's about England. If England's playing on that day, then it's so England-centric that I don't get uh, that level of detail or analysis or thought that goes into the broadcast. But when it's when it's a day that England's not playing, I, I mean, this, to me, uh, watching the game on Peacock and then syncing the audio... Uh, with uh well if you want to through a VPN syncing it with uh, BBC Radio 5 Live is the best experience but uh even for the, um pre-match and post-match it, it is i mean 50 times better than what we're hearing on Fox and you you get some really good insights you even get Stu Holden <laughs> doing post-match interviews on BBC Radio 5 where he's sharing his thoughts after commentating a game um which is kind of ironic at the end of the day but that's been my experience. And time, now and again, I'll, I'll go back to Fox. So sometimes it's, it's a family member who's watching the game. Maybe my wife or my kids have Fox on. And uh, I'll hear what they're saying. And now and again, there is some, some good tidbits or some good thoughts in there. To me, uh, the star of the show for Fox Sports, uh, and you hardly ever see him, is uh, Chad Ochocinco. He's on late at night at the Midnight Show. The other star of the show is Jeff Shreves, who I think has done a great job in terms of providing the latest updates. Beyond that, it's arguably one of the worst World Cup broadcasts ever, at least from the definitely the, the pre-match and the post-match. The games themselves, the commentators, what are your thoughts on the commentators, Karthik, from Fox Sports?
1: Um, Well, I guess in terms of the commentators, I would say that um, Landon Donovan has been very good as a co-commentator. I think he adds a lot of insight. He seems to be also a guy that – this is ironic because there's this narrative among uh, some U.S. fans that because Donovan was basically an MLS lifer and didn't do so well – when he went to Europe uh, on, on uh, the, the few stints he had over there, that he must be very insular in his opinions. In fact, he seems to be much more well versed in what's going on in the European club game, and even kind of the psychology around playing, uh, not playing at your club, or having whatever difficulties at your club, and then coming into a national team camp. So, I've I liked his uh, co-commentary in, in, in his uh, his pairing with uh, Ian Dark, uh, who, who is quite good, obviously.
3: Yeah, no, uh, I, I agree. Otherwise, I just, yeah, go, go Landon's ahead. been great. I mean, there's been some times where I mean, it, yeah, I think it was a little bit rough, maybe in the first match, but uh, the conversations between him and Ian Dark are always fun, and uh, and he shared, Landon Donovan shares some really good insight in terms of again from a player's perspective, but but looking at things from a kind of a hardcore soccer fan's perspective. So there's enough there, and of course, Ian Dark's a legend. So the two of them together, I think that so far is uh, the best partnership that i i've seen or i've heard from fox sports on the commentating side
1: yeah but otherwise i don't have a whole lot of positive to say in in, in uh the specific case of Stu holden i'm not surprised by what you're saying because uh stew holden has been i think quite good when he's outside the fox um <laughs> The Fox, uh, the contained Fox situation, right? Or even when he's outside kind of the Fox script and doing Bundesliga, when they had the Bundesliga rights. I thought he was pretty good on Turner. I think he's been good. I've heard him on BBC Five Live also. I think he's quite good. He knows the sport. There's some um, containment within the Fox uh, Fox ecosystem which which makes him change, maybe some script he has to go off of or, or some formula. Uh, John Strong has been okay, Uh, hasn't been great. I don't think he's adding a whole lot to the broadcast one way or another. Uh, Derek Ray, Allie Wagner have been decent. Uh, I love Derek Ray. I think Allie Wagner sometimes chimes in with some strange uh, thoughts, but she's also, I think, pretty good at analytical stuff. Uh, Jackie Oatley, Warren Barton have been um, decent. Uh, I think uh, there is a limited knowledge – of um the teams Playing from Warren Barton but his Analysis is actually Pretty good based on The, the match taking Place but kind of The ancillary stuff Even uh we've just Watched Australia and Uh Uh, and the Danes, and and Denmark, and and Barton's lack of knowledge of the players outside of the match itself. Like, those Danish players are all kind of household names. Uh, But his lack of knowledge of the players outside of Ericsson, and then his lack of knowledge of the entire Australia team was, I thought, kind of appalling. But his actual analysis of the match is quite good. Um, And, uh, uh, oh, Della Camera and Kobe Jones. I think Kobe's been pretty good. Uh, Della Camera, who's historically one of my favorites, I think he's kind of... Chris out of touch mm-hmm. um, with with what's going on, it, it, it's, it's almost as if he, he, he's never watched some of these players before, and he's calling a match uh, well, right? He, he's a very good commentator in terms of calling a match, but his his knowledge of um, many of these players, I think, has dropped off uh, through the years, so that's something very obvious I've seen with him, and I think, uh, did, I, did I miss any teams? I, or was I think that that's
3: everybody, everybody yeah. Guys, everybody? Yeah, the, the the difference in terms of listening to BBC Radio Five Live for the ma- their match commentaries and then, and then syncing up that audio with the video that you see either from Fox Sports or from uh, Peacock or Telemundo um, to me is a game changer because I mean I mean just a couple of examples here, Karen Bardsley, uh, the goalkeeper for Manchester City, she's been really really good. She's been a co-commentator for a bunch of the matches. Her level of analysis, she's American. You know, She's
1: a california native she's she's really good exactly. the,
3: the other person like my favorite from this World Cup so far has been uh Connor McManara, or McManara. and um particularly from the games that are pretty boring <laughs> the games that are boring where nothing's happening uh he's Irish, so he's sharing stories and and actually it's 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 funny it's enjoyable so even if the game is boring. Uh, which there 's been some boring games, not all of them, of course, but even if the game is boring uh he 's he 's talking through and and sharing some insight insight that is you mean tangential to the game itself it 's like it 's not like he 's throwing out stats or talking about something completely unrelated um he 's been a joy to listen to Stephen Warnock uh Alan shearer Dion dublin Dion dublin 's been really good as a co commentator. Uh, so on and so forth. So, BBC's coverage is not the greatest by any means, but um, paired with the visuals that we're seeing and and just listening to that audio, honestly, it, it to me has changed my uh, appreciation of this World Cup. Because I'm getting more insights, I'm getting more thoughts, or are there seeing more things that, I, that I'm seeing? Um, and again, after listening to an entire week and watching an entire week of Fox Sports' broadcasts, Honestly, I can't think of one piece of information that I can remember. Like as far as like, hey, like Clint Dempsey said this, or Carly Lloyd said that, or who Stu Holden said this. There's no, there's, there's. I I can't think of any anything that they said that I was like, oh wow, that that's good. That's good. That's good insight.
1: So, so let me point this out. Alexi Lalas isn't everybody's cup of tea. I know a lot of people don't like him, and they make him the face of Fox's coverage. He's actually the one positive in that studio for me. He's actually done research. He's actually made himself knowledgeable about the players, what they're doing at the club level. Maybe it's, again, maybe he's just watching more football, soccer from Europe than uh, the rest of them. But the rest of the studio, even when they make good points, like they'll occasionally make good points, uh, uh, it, it seems like they're winging it, right? There's a lack of preparation. It's like, let's all have a good time. Let's just wing it type of thing, which is not what we got from major tournaments when it was on ESPN. Even when uh, under the restrictions of COVID in the Euros last time, and, and you and I were kind of disappointed with the coverage. We said that because it wasn't the classic ESPN coverage we'd seen in previous European championships or World Cups. There is a essential prep and uh, analysis that goes on in uh in in this um that that Fox doesn't have real quickly you posted this morning on Twitter we're recording this on Wednesday and, and I I'm, I'm friendly with with uh uh Taylor Tolman so he he had actually sent me the clip uh earlier uh, his clip with Scott Van Pelt on uh Center you got more analysis out of that Not 3, minu- three minutes? minutes that you've gotten out of like all Yeah, all the Fox Studio shows combined in the last ten days. So, and and I'm and I'm telling you, if you watch ESPN FC, you get more in a daily ESPN FC show than you get in Fox the whole time. Now. Maybe that's what some people want. Again, I've tried to make this effort to dial back my personal preferences and say, okay, I understand um, the Premier League gets 1 million viewers a week on NBC. This thing is getting 15 million viewers, at least on Black Friday. It got 15 million viewers on Fox. So there are all these new fans, all these people who don't generally watch. Fox has to appeal to them. I get that. But still, at some point, those of us as soccer fans – you know we have to be catered to too, right we 're the base and, and we 're not being uh, by fox and and in in the case of Telemundo, I was really uh, pleased with telemundo 's coverage until Mexico started playing, and then it became a very you know in your face thing about Mexico, although I have to say this, I watched the u s Iran game on Telemundo on a Tuesday, and uh, Andres contor 's call of that match was beautiful, even if you don 't know Spanish. I can only imagine the comparison between that and how John Strong called the game. I mean, it was it was great because Contour knew the occasion, he knew the moment for um, the American audience what it meant, and and it was just uh, majestic.
3: It's so strange because Fox's World Cup coverage is it feels like not meant for soccer fans. It feels like it's it really is meant for the general public, and I think for those people who are tuning in for a game here, or a game there. Of obviously in the US game and maybe they'll watch an England game or whatever, whatever it may be um, those people will not see the things that we're seeing and, and we as the hardcore we as the diehard we as the base the foundation for, for soccer in the United States most of us are watching every game or as many games as we can possibly either live or on demand or, or listen, listening to the audio while we're at work and it's, it's us that are the ones that feel shafted it's what, uh, us that are the ones that feel that we've been let down in terms of how mediocre, really, the coverage is. Now Telemundo, Karthik, I Again, I do not speak Spanish. I do not uh, understand much Spanish except for a few words here or there, uh, thanks to living in South Florida for a while. But when I do have them both channels on at the same time, which often, which oftentimes I do, I'll, I'll, I'll kind of compare. Sometimes the amount of uh, segments that uh, Telemundo is doing about the different teams, interviews, um, custom content that they've generated. Uh, and then you look at Fox's screen and it's the the talking heads behind the studio, which the studio looks amazing, by the way, uh, basically just chat, 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 just really offering nothing the the contrasts in styles are, are so so dramatic so so different i i wish in, in many ways that Ashley did um understand spanish a lot more because i, I would certainly appreciate uh the coverage that telemundo is doing a lot more than i do now let me think anything else karthik that we can mention i mean i mean for the most part um Fox's coverage does look good. But I'm sure a lot of our listeners right now are are screaming at us, They're saying like, hey, well, Uh, well, let me just finish. Let me just finish. They're they're screaming at us, because they're saying like, well, Fox's TV ratings, 20 million for England against U.S. We'll find out shortly how many viewers tuned in for the uh, uh, U.S.-Iran game. But they're saying, hey, it's working for Fox. What's your uh, reaction to that?
1: The number would have been the same If it was on ABC Maybe higher Okay So I, I don't give that to Fox Okay I, I do think that they pushed this This very kind of mainstream narrative And I noticed uh, That there are some people who, who um, Political people Social commentators That never watch soccer That haven't watched previous World Cups That have weighed in Maybe that is Fox Fox has made uh, They've done an amazing job of marketing I will concede that Okay They've, they've uh, You can't turn a News Corp own channel on in the United States without seeing some sort of World Cup promo, uh, and and that includes uh, streaming platforms, etc. And I do think, um, you know, I, the thing I was going to in and say is I, I, I do think the the fact that they're offering Tubi in four K uh, for free to people who are to, because anyone can get Tubi is is really kind of a neat add on uh, from their coverage. But I do think at some point they. Um, they have a problem sustaining their fan base for future tournaments if they don't do this right. And here's the, here's the problem now for Fox. Fox has gone all in on international football, right? They've basic, basically divorced themselves from the club game. We think they'll probably keep uh, a piece of MLS um, – but they may not. And by the way, that that's kind of obvious too, Chris, in the commentary with the exception of Della Camera, who does like to mention when guys play in Major League Soccer. Um, we're even hearing it less from John Strong than usual. Um, the, the, the MLS promo. So it's like they've got all in on international football now, right? That's their bread and butter, not Major League Soccer or U.S. Soccer any or the, the U.S. domestic game anymore. Um, but they have a Euro in a year and a half. They then have a Women's World Cup ne- next summer. They have um, a Gold Cup in a in in, in next summer. Uh, They, they will literally have a tournament every summer uh, from here on in, right? For, for the next, uh, uh, the expanded club world cup too, for the next uh, 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 six years, uh, five and a half years. So they are not doing anything to sustain that audience. Long-term. They are trying to get short-term rating spikes, get whatever advertising dollars they get from that. It's very much kind of a very, it's a very different strategy than the long-term build Um, in in terms of uh, uh, building a product, maintaining an infrastructure, keeping a a base that we've seen from other broadcasters of this sport. I think uh, when you look at the way CBS is covering uh, this sport, they are – they, they, they are uh, building blocks around every uh, co- product they have in this sport and picking commentators that cater to that specific audience. We've talked about this before. CBS's commentators for uh, CONCACAF matches are different than their commentators and their approach for Serie A matches. And for uh, uh, Serie A, is different than Champions League. Champions League is different than, I just watched uh, Leon and PSG, uh, Liga 1 uh, Women's, the other night on, on uh, CBS Sports Network. That's presented completely differently. Fox doesn't seem to get this.
3: Yeah, I think, yeah, you you hit the nail on the head there, Karthik, on on several different points. And I think that the risk here is that Fox is risking losing its uh, hardcore soccer audience. And and, and even before this tournament started, there were a lot of people uh, for years who have been upset with Fox's coverage of soccer in general. But I think this one, more than any, is getting people to say enough's enough, and let me go ahead and watch it on Peacock and let me watch the game in Telemundo. Even if I don't understand Spanish, I will watch it there uh, just because Fox's coverage has been so disappointing. And and that is that is worrying. I mean, you look at the numbers that Peacock's, Peacock is getting for some of these games. They had more than 2 million people watched uh, Argentina against Mexico uh, in Spanish language on Peacock. More than 2 million, which is the most watched as of recording this, the most watched, uh, most streamed ever soccer game um, in the United States. I mean, that, that beats everything. More than 2 million. Now, if you were Major League Soccer for an MLS Cup final... And you got more than two million viewers, uh, uh, linear and uh, streaming combined. You'd, you'd be really uh, really happy, especially just like this l- most recent uh, MLS Cup final, and and we've had other games too. Some of the earlier round games, I think the USA against England game had well over what, one million viewers on Peacock, and that doesn't include um, Telemundo or Telemundo Deportes as uh, streaming apps. So I think Fox does risk losing the core audience and. I'm sure they're hoping. Okay, yeah, the U.S. goes uh, far, goes deep in this tournament, and they win over a whole new audience. Now, the TV rating side of things, um, yes, from a marketing side, uh, in-house promotions. I mean, I mean, it's almost over the top, though, Kartik. I mean, like the number of times in each game, every single game, 19 games before the uh, USA against England game. Uh, 19 games where they mentioned several times, even in the commentary. I mean, people like Derek Ray, Ian Dock. Games that had nothing to do with England against the U.S. Having to uh, over and over again mention, hey, don't forget this Friday, U.S.A. against England. So it did work oh yeah yeah i know so and i think derek rain when the broadcasts actually said like hey I, I promise this is the last time i'm going to mention this but yeah usa against england coming up on friday and i think later in the second half then he had to mention it again so it's um i understand it i understand what they're they're, they're doing and and to them this is a, a success however Like you said before, too, Kartik, if ESPN had the rights to the the same tournament, would they be getting the same ratings or would it be higher or would they be lower? I'd argue, actually, they'd be higher because you wouldn't lose the hardcore audience and you would gain the mainstream audience. And we've seen from NBC's broadcasts of the Premier League and how they treat the viewer, how they treat the viewer intelligently. They don't talk down to the viewer. We've seen, too, with ESPN's broadcasts of the World Cup, um, where they same thing as as NBC they talk intel- intelligently don't ta- they're not condescending um and the reality is that fox used to have the premier league rights and and it was at times condescending yeah the football versus football uh episodes of the FA cup i think it was or or a premier league match that they had i mean they definitely were condescending at, at times before i think ESPN or CBS or NBC if they did have the rights Uh, Yes, Fox does a great job of marketing, but I still think that uh, an ESPN or or CBS or um, uh, NBC would be able to get greater ratings because, uh, because less people would go over to the Spanish language side.
1: Let's not forget that the ratings for the Euros last summer blew our uh, blew our minds, given it's not a competition with the United States in it. It's, it was a uh, kind of a competition shoehorned, moved because of COVID. Uh, that, and, and, and I will admit that ESPN got lucky, right? ABC and ESPN got lucky that Italy and England, which would probably be the two European squads with the biggest followings in the US, uh, got to the final. But the numbers were pretty remarkable for the Euros, so I think there's an upward trajectory for the sport, uh, particularly the international sport, in this country in general. And we're also seeing even at the club level, right? That the number of CBS is getting when they throw a uh, a, uh, a match over the air uh, on a Wednesday afternoon on CBS uh, network television is uh, blows our mind. At the same time, it's, there's very vibrant Spanish language coverage going on, so. Yeah, I think you're right, Chris. As you um, uh, as you outlined that, I, I was thinking to myself, yeah, you know, uh, ESPN probably would get better numbers. CBS probably would get better numbers. And again, um, FS1 is not ESPN. Okay, it's it's just not as much in the mainstream consciousness. And this idea that they they don't do post match. Um, is is a uh, is a very bad thing but I do I do once again want to uh give them props for the 2B thing because I think that that is uh, a a bonus add-on sort of um feature that we've never had before where you can go back on a free platform and watch all the matches in 4K which is is really Yeah crazy.
3: the idea of that is is great the feedback I'm getting from a lot of our readers and listeners is that it's not 4K it doesn't look 4K so I haven't been able to test that to, to verify that, but that, that's, that's what I'm hearing. Is uh,
1: For me, it has been. I okay. Mean, I can tell the odd. Uh, so, in fact, I've done this where um, I can't remember which match it was, but uh, there was a match. It was one of the days where you had a, 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 a 5, seven, uh, 8, 11, and during the 8, I watched the 2B5 and flip back and forth between that and FS1, and the picture was much, much better. And then, same thing, uh, 8 and 11, I watched the 8 again on Tubi, and the picture had been better than it had been on FS1. Uh, whether it's real 4K, I mean, there are varying degrees of 4K, right? If it's HDR, if it's, you know, what whatever mm-hmm. uh, kind of picture, but I think, it's, I think it's been 4K for me. I mean, I compare it to, I own a, a pretty um, exhaustive library of 4K movies that I bought, don't you know, you can blame me for that. That's kind of stupid. to bought <laughs> all those movies. But the picture quality has been similar. So I, I will defend Fox on that.
3: So my, my bottom line is that uh, if you're going to watch the games, I mean, watch them on Fox Sports or Telemundo or Peacock. Um, the commentary on Fox is not so bad. I mean, some commentators are better than others, but it depends on your style. Everyone has different tastes. However, for the pre-match uh, coverage and then the post-match coverage, you can listen listen to BBC Radio Five Live uh, through streaming and apps and tune in uh, for free. It's not geo blocked, and then the match commentaries themselves those are geo blocked because uh, BBC does have does have the rights in the UK, but does not have the rights outside of the UK to broadcast uh, uh, radio commentaries of those games. But that that's what's your bottom line. Kartik is it similar or a little bit different.
1: Um, My bottom line is that I'm watching the bare minimum on Fox. I'm watching a lot on Telemundo, and I'm supplementing my coverage with outside um, analysis. Uh, you know, another thing I should mention, actually, in passing before we, we move on, Chris, is that the uh, Athletic has provided a lot of good uh and analytical videos on, uh, YouTube also, uh, after the matches. And it's a little, uh, difficult when the U S is playing or England's playing because they, they, again, the usual biases towards or overemphasis on those two countries, uh, from various athletic writers, but they, um, the videos have been very good and, and analytical and tactical on, uh, on other um on, on other matches. So I've augmented my coverage with that and I think I'm going to take your suggestion on BBC Five Live. I think that's a great suggestion uh to play that alongside the um the the the, the, the Peacock or, or Telemundo coverage if you're not comfortable listening in Spanish.
3: Yeah, except for uh England days when England are playing. And and that and that's kind of a a little piece of feedback or a little bit of insight too is that uh on social media I've been getting a lot of kind of uh negative feedback just because we're trying to cover all the teams i mean we're fans of world soccer yes we want the united states to do well yes we want them to do as well as they can but we're not just focused on one team we're, we've been covering all 32 teams uh on the websites we've have articles analysis um you name it we've got so much so many articles we've hired several writers um the cover that they're the specialized in covering the different countries and and that's where we're coming at this from is from a a global cosmopolitan perspective where we are soccer fans and yes we love seeing the u.s play well but we're watching it as soccer fans we're we're watching every game as as much as we can and enjoying the beauty of soccer now men- uh mentioning um uh on the topic of uh the US national team Kartik personally myself I did not come into this tournament with high hopes about the US I, I knew that they had a lot of talent I mean you know obviously watching all the games however I just kind of felt that um they wouldn't have the experience necessary and a few weeks ago I think I think it was Kyle and I we recorded a podcast uh called The Weird World Cup where we were saying that there's so many different factors going into this World Cup, where this could be a World Cup turned upside down, everything from players getting injured, uh, the the, seat, the the club season, I mean ending a week before the tournament started, as well as it being played in you I mean November and December, uh, in the middle of a season, and, and all these different factors, and I think we said that during that podcast. This could be a really unpredictable World Cup. So, given given that, Karthik, and, and and as well as your insight that I definitely certainly want want to hear too, where are you with this U.S. national team right now?
1: Oh, I'm very high on them. I think uh, uh, the youth is 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 really the obstacle, right? As you and Kyle mentioned in that podcast, uh, which by the way was excellent, although now it's kind of dated. If you want to go back and listen to it, but, <laughs> um, it. it, it um, I do think that they, are, um, they have shown a great degree of, uh, degree of poise for a young team. We have seen um, standout performances from uh, top players. I think Greg Berhalter has been criticized for being too dogmatic and having an ideology. Well, he's kind of broken that ideology on multiple occasions in this World Cup. Even in his selection before the World Cup, dropping Zach Steffen, who has no business being anywhere near the national team right now. Um, And uh, believe me, I saw um, uh, Zach Steffen at Manchester City. Anytime he played, he would make a mistake. And then the first three matches this season with Middlesbrough, uh, right out of the gate in the championship mistakes. Um, Tim Ream being called back into the team, something I'd called for for a long time. He's playing so well with Fulham. He and Anthony Robinson, a Jedi, have a, a natural connection. You, you can't, you can't uh, create that on your back line. Um, normally with this short, um, no training camp, short window uh, for this international tournament. So uh, getting two guys playing next to each other who play next to each other week in and week out in the Premier League. Big, big uh, uh, get for the U.S. Really, that is smart from Berhalter calling Cameron Carter Vickers in, a guy that we have not seen in the national team for some time, but he's been in very good form uh, for Celtic. Uh, another big, call that he made and he got right. And I would say the same thing in terms of Haji Wright coming into this team instead of P-Folk or or, or Pepe. Uh, I think he's made the right decision. And when he started Josh Sargent, who does a lot of things off the ball, a lot of U.S. fans don't appreciate. And then I think ultimately I'm tired of hearing about Gio Reyna, okay? Uh, Stop it already. The U.S. uh, got through the group. The U.S. has punched above their weight given their relative inexperience, given the fact they didn't even qualify for the last World Cup. I'm so tired of hearing about Giovanni, Giovanni Reyna. Yes, he is probably the U.S.'s best player when fit. Yes, he is the U.S.'s um, uh, most technical player. He is the most creative player. He's all those things. He's the best U.S. player, I think. Although you could argue Tyler Adams, uh, in also the way he's played this season at Leeds, maybe challenging Reyna for that spot. But guys, stop it already, okay? You're not in the camp. You're not a physio. You're not a coach. I, it's okay to have opinions. But there is a reason... Clearly, why Berhalter has has had a uh, has had um, reign on a very short leash, and it's worked to this point. Now, that all take. behind. Yeah.
3: Well, if I may, just m- mention one thing about G Arena before you go off off, off, <laughs> off on this one. But but I just I do want to mention it because I, I want to have a chance to say this. But I think with G Arena, I think I mean if I'm G- 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 Greg Berata, there's definitely that thought in the back of my mind. I would I would imagine that he is very injury prone. So you put him in, you start start him in the game. What if, what what if after ten minutes? He, I he, he mean, re-injures that injury and has to come off the field. I mean, that, that, that hurts the U.S. big time in terms of then having to make a substitution. Ask Diego
1: Simeone about that. Champions League final, Atleti versus Real Madrid. He starts Diego Costa, who we knew was hurt and was injury prone. And what happened? And he didn't have that substitution at the end of the match when they were trying to see it out. And Sergio Ramos gets that late goal, and, and we know what happens, right? Uh, Atleti loses an extra time.
3: So, who would you say uh, is the 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 player of the tournament th- so far for the United States?
1: Oh, Tyler Adams, no doubt. Yeah, me, um, me too. I think he. Yeah. yeah. I think no, no question. First game, he, he dictated the tempo uh, and the pace of that game in the first half against Wales. Second half, Wales were the better team, uh, but there weren't. He still played okay. In England game, he was the best player. Took Bellingham and Rice completely out of the match. Although I think actually in that second game, maybe I would say Musa was Musa was the better of the two. Uh, Musa was just elite, obviously motivated uh, to play against England. He he had spent his entire youth setup in in the England setup and and. Had made a switch to the U.S. because Burhalter had recruited him. Give Burhalter credit for that, right? Um, mm-hmm. We know Southgate was interested in Musa, but Burhalter was more aggressive. Um, and then, uh, yeah, Adams in the third game was the best player. I, I do think, um, if I just to dial it back from in, in analyzing the U.S., I think the U.S. has been better than I thought. The U.S. is uh, he, he has a chance to go very deep in this tournament, but I think, Chris, what you and Kyle talked about a couple of weeks ago on that podcast, is absolutely the takeaway point about the U.S. and about so much of this World Cup. This is a completely different World Cup. We've just, uh, in the last uh, uh, f- uh, 20 minutes or so, seen Denmark get eliminated. Denmark were the hot pre-tournament dark horse, but I, to the point where they weren't even really a dark horse anymore. So many people were picking them uh, to go to the semifinals or even win the World Cup. Um, what we're finding is European sides and sides overly reliant on European-based club players who have come in banged up or have had some sort of uncertainty at their club um, are struggling. I guess um, mm. we're only through two Portugal matches, but they would be the exception, and maybe it's just because they're so loaded. But everyone else, there seems to be some degree of struggle. France hasn't really struggled either, and I, I don't put the Tunisia put much stock into the Tunisia match but everybody else there seems to be issues so this if there's ever going to be a world cup for an outsider which would include the united states which would include uh australia which would include uh, uh senegal uh this might be it
3: yeah the one thing about the us is is obviously the the goal scoring department and i mean you look at uh, from the group stage group b uh iran scored twice as many goals as as the us iran scored four goals the U.S. scored two goals. I mean, those two goals uh, mattered uh, big time uh, to get them through to the next round. That's my only concern about this U.S. team is is who's going to score those goals, uh, especially if Pulisic isn't 100%, even if he does play against the Netherlands. Uh, we're still waiting to hear back uh, about the scan on uh, Josh Sargent. Haji Wright, I, I don't rate at all. Um, so who scores those goals? And and folk might have been the guy that could have done it. I mean, Timothy Ware looks in spectacular form in terms of his speed. Uh, it's just a shame that um, that goal he scored in the first half against Iran was called uh, for offside. But uh, that's that's the only concern is scoring goals, and and, and that's yeah. the most important part of it.
1: Yeah, although the Netherlands have a similar concern, right? I I like what Von Hall has done in terms of the the way they've set up, but they're another team that hasn't been as good as I thought they'd be, and I I think maybe I was overrating them because of of who their manager is because international football, you have most of the managers are are not very good or they're club rejects, right? And then you have a guy like Von Hall who's – an elite manager by any standard.
3: Yeah, but um, but other than, but, but, you, but you have Cody Gakpo who's you uh, on fire right yeah, now. Yeah, he
1: can. He's very good. Yeah, at PSV and uh, so good that I think I tweeted this. I, I signed him that night. <laughs> Got into a bidding war with Atalanta and a couple other sides and signed him on uh, Football Manager because I knew when the update came out he would be more expensive. <laughs> so that's <laughs> part of playing Football Manager in real time on on uh, online, but um, or you know on your computer, but connected to. The, to the online server, yeah, Gokpo can score. Uh, he's not necessarily an out-and-out striker. Memphis is still a guy that is a danger man, and obviously they've got Frankie De Jong in midfield. That's where I think Tyler Adams. Again, you mentioned he's he's been the player of the tournament so far for the U.S. I agree. Where again, he's going to have a huge responsibility because um, I think another thing is that Weston McKinney is clearly not fully fit. And um, he can only give you about 60 minutes. This could be a 120-minute match. The last couple times the U.S. have been knocked out of the uh, uh, of the knockout stages, uh, the matches have gone 120 minutes. So um, you need someone who's going to negate Frankie de Jong in midfield. Um, and then the, my other concern, real quickly, about the U.S. with this match is how good the Dutch can be on set pieces when you've got de Jong taking free kicks and, or, and, and corners and you've got... Uh, Van dyke and Ake and Dalit and and really some elite center backs in terms of uh elite elite uh play in the air uh that you have to contend with.
3: Yeah, I like the uh, USA's chances against Netherlands. I, th- I think it's a good matchup. It's a, it's a good team to play. However, you I mean if the US does and again, US is underdog in this game. But if the US does beat the Netherlands, the next game after that is most likely against France mean uh, from then on, it, get, it gets even tougher and tougher. And that's the thing, that too. Finishing second in the group, which is a great achievement for the U.S., qualifying for the, the round of 16. Finishing second means that you do go to the harder side of the bracket. If they had finished in first, they would have been playing Senegal. And then from then on, the, the, the games, the opponents, I mean, not, nothing is easy, but a little bit easier than... The reigning World Cup champions in a quarterfinal stage. Um, that's if I mean, France progresses to that that stage, of course, and, and the U.S. But um, I'm excited. I'm, I'm actually very uh, surprised how good this U.S. team is, especially after that Wales game. And I think that England game was, was the game changer because in that Wales game, great first half, second half, they, I think, mismanaged it, really. But um, that... England game I was like wow this team is on fire Uh, and that's a good test right I mean England even though they played poorly in that game by their standards that is a high caliber top five in the world team and if you can do that well against France I mean against England conceivably you could do the same against uh, France uh, perhaps or whoever the opponent would be if you can get past the Netherlands and from then who knows it's a cup competition you mean three more games, and you're in the final, and and who knows? It it's uh it's been such a weird World Cup that anything could happen, and it may, very well may happen, which is which is <laughs> crazy. It's one yeah, won- I- wonderfully crazy.
1: Yeah, it is wonderfully crazy. And one thing I would disagree with you on is I do not think England are a top five side. I'm not sure they're a top 10 side.
3: Well, right ra- ranked, ra- I, I, the FIFA rankings.
1: Well, in rankings, right, yeah. Belgium's ranked second in the world rankings. We know how much that means. I, I think England will be out whenever they play. It might be against Senegal. It's Senegal without Monet, but uh, I England... And I don't blame Southgate. I just don't think they have, their midfield situation hasn't really progressed. I think that you've got a lot of guys that are kind of out of form at the club level. Uh, Harry Maguire always brings it for England. He's having a great tournament, by the way. Uh, But otherwise, eh. I mean, I, I'm a little concerned about them, honestly. They they, they need to start uh, really controlling matches in midfield, which they, I, again, I know they beat Wales 3-0, but in the first half, it, maybe it was that Joe Allen had just come back from injury and he he played okay for 45 minutes. Um, they didn't look very good to me against Wales. I, I, I felt like the midfield, uh, the idea of playing Bellingham as a 10 and then uh, uh, going with a double pivot, uh, I, to me, didn't really work either with Henderson playing uh, maybe they stole a game because they got Henderson those minutes and now you'll, have, uh, you'll be able to bring Mount back in and, and they'll be fresher. But there, there are a lot of concerns I have about England. I even had a lot of concerns about them coming out of the Iran game. I know they scored a lot in that match, but there were some clear vulnerabilities that we saw. And if you compare the U.S., uh, against iran to england against iran those counter-attacks that were creating chances and in two cases goals against the u uh, against england the u.s were able to snuff out and, and, and prevent the final ball from coming in so um i i'm not that positive about england right now
3: all right listeners we're going to skip the listener mailbag this week we will be back next week uh probably after the um the actual round of 16 matches uh, finish and there's a little bit of a break before the quarterfinals. Uh, we'll be discussing, I'm sure, a lot of the television coverage, streaming coverage, um, and the games themselves too. But if you do have any feedback, questions, um, or uh, want to rant rant or rave about anything we've said on this podcast, uh, there's a bunch of different places you can go ahead and post that. You can send us a voicemail. The number is 561-247-4625. Uh, also, you can go ahead and post your comments at worldsoccertalk.com in the podcast podcast thread in the comments section there, or you can reach out to us via Twitter, and that is uh, the, the Twitter address is at worldsoccertalk. And last but not least, actually, well, actually two more Facebook dot uh, com slash worldsoccertalk. Leave us a message there, or send us an email to web at worldsoccertalk.com. And we'd love to read those out uh, next week on air. Kartik. oh, man. (laughs) Where can everyone find you on on social media if they want to uh, to touch base with you?
1: Yeah, I'm at at KKFLA737 on Twitter. I'm experimenting with some of these new social media platforms that have come out, uh, Tribal, Mastodon, but I'm not… Versus that yet, I think maybe after the World Cup, uh, that that eight days we have between the end of the World Cup and uh, Boxing Day, Premier League season, I'll play along. Uh, I'll play around with those more. I noticed that there's. A hashtag Mastodon FC on Mastodon for all the uh, to aggregate all the football content, soccer content. So that's kind of exciting, but don't 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 look for me there yet. So Twitter <laughs> at KKFLA737.
3: All right, and you can also reach me uh, personally. Uh, my e my email address. My my uh, Twitter handle is the Gaffer. One word. All right. So thank you for listening. We really appreciate it. Uh, thanks for your patience. It's been a while since we've done the last podcast, but we will be back next week. It's been great catching up with you, Karthik, and it's been great uh, talking to you, the listeners, about this very uh, World Cup that we're going through. Probably, actually, not probably, definitely the weirdest World Cup that's ever happened in history since 1930. It's just uh, so different, and good things, bad things, some things in between, but but uh, we're trying to get through and, and also trying to cover it in a lot of detail. Everything from the from the controversies uh, to the news to the analysis to the match reports, uh, you can find at WorldSoccerTalk.com. Can'tic. one more thing before we go. Uh, that is something that you've noticed. I have, too. I want to share notes, but you go first in in regards to Fox's coverage.
1: Yeah, so Fox is emitting any sort of controversial elements out of matches. So I'm going to just give one example, uh, which was I had to go – I have an electric car, so I had to get juice in my battery. So I had to go to a car charging port during the Uruguay-Portugal match. And I then am forced to listen to Fox's coverage on Sirius. And John Strong basically said, oh, you know, we have a match interruption. And I have no idea what it is. Uh, 30 seconds later, Chris, you're tweeting on the World Soccer Talk um, uh, on the World Soccer Talk uh, handle, this is what it was. You know, it was so, it was a uh, someone with a pride shirt streaking onto onto the pitch. That there have been several examples of this, but that's the first one that comes to mind. Where um, there are things that Fox is missing that they're deliberately cutting out of their coverage that uh, you know we're giving you on World Soccer Talk and and other platforms are, are giving it as well uh, that you're missing from the tournament if you just depend on Fox's coverage.
3: Yeah, it's so. Blatant that that it, it is funny. I mean, it's sad because the, these are important uh, things that are happening, but it's ridiculous what they're doing. I mean, it really comes down to the, the censoring themselves. Fox is um, from actually talking about the things that everyone else is talking about that everyone else is seeing. And before this tournament started, uh, David Neal, who is the uh, the lead executive producer for Fox's coverage of the World Cup, was asked the question about uh, will you be covering the human rights abuses and things like that. And he said, "If it happens on the on the field, and this is this is not a direct quote, uh, paraphrasing here, if it happens on the field, we will cover it and we will co- cover it fully. But if it's happening happening off the field, there's there's other." Um, basically other news organizations out there that that focus on that and people are not coming to the games to watch the controversy they're coming to watch the, the actual matches themselves so however i do believe that people are coming to fox and telemundo and peacock to watch the games definitely the things that are happening during the world cup some of this is happening on the pitch and that example that you gave karthik about the pitch invader who, if you didn't notice it, that was the, I think, Portugal-Uruguay game, I think, but ran onto the the field, had a T-shirt that was on the front that said Save uh, Ukraine. On the back of it, it said um, uh, Supporting the Iran Protest or something to that regard, and then had had a Pride banner. And the fact that neither John Strong nor... Uh, Stu Holden mentioned anything about what that person had on his shirt or the big banner, which you, you couldn't miss the actual flag that that person was, was waving. And John Strong says something along the lines of. Uh, yes, we have a, a pitch invader on the field, and that's yeah, it. Yeah,
1: and that's all I got because I was, as I said, I was at a, a, a pumping or an electric uh, fueling station, and I uh, was listening to the match on Sirius while the thing is in my car, and I'm like, right. oh, you know what is that? And then it was, if you hadn't tweeted it, I wouldn't have known.
3: Well, the funny thing is about that, Kartik, is that uh, I, I counted the number of seconds. That there was silence after that. He didn't know what to say. There was fifty seconds of silence uh from the moment that he said, like, hey, there's there's a pitch invader on the field until then he started commentating again. And for John Strong to go fifty seconds without commentating <laughs> it <laughs> is a is a rarity indeed. And it just shows I mean I mean that that's that's so I mean I don't know. To me, That 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 looks poorly on John Strong. I mean, yes, he works for Fox. Yes, he's basically probably been told he has a gag order. He can't mention anything. Or maybe the producer was in his ear saying, "Hey, don't say anything. Don't don't mention it. Just just let's just wait for the next play to start and then start commentating again." Whatever whatever was said, it's a bad look for Fox when there's something on TV. We're seeing it, and you're being silent. You're not even saying anything. And like Fox said, they said, "Okay, anything that happens on the field, we will cover and we'll we'll cover fully." Well. mean that that's that's the opposite of actually what they're doing two more things Kartik, before we go to on on this some of my notes i wrote down during the tournament and i'm sure there's other things that we've we've missed too because there's so much stuff happening which is uh which is funny because it's so bad but the whole armband issue the one love armband (laughs) going into that germany japan game beforehand where on social media everyone was like hey is Manuel, uh, Manuel Neuer g- going to wear the actual uh, armbands? And then nobody really knew whether or not he was going to, and he's walking out onto the field. And that, and then FIFA, not, he may basically doing no close-ups of um, Manuel Neuer, only showing kind of far away shots, even though he touched the ball probably more than a dozen times in that first half, and then finally, I think about thirty minutes in, then they did show a close up and then from then on, I think I guess the FIFA producers probably thought okay no no, no it 's not a one love uh, armband it 's okay we We can continue uh, showing close ups of of him now but fox i don 't think as far as I can tell from all the coverage I watched. I don't think they mentioned the word armband once. They've not even mentioned it in their reports or anything about the One Love armband. Completely, completely ignored that. Completely, which which is really... I mean, how, how much lower can this you get the in terms of the coverage? Reason
1: why if you watch ESPN FC, Chris, you think you're watching a completely, they must be watching a different tournament than you're seeing on Fox because uh, obviously we know ESPN's MO sometimes is to talk about to fuel that stuff, right? That's been one criticism of them by, from people who say, oh, keep the politics out of sports. But uh, ESPN talks about that constantly, right? The armband, the, <laughs> you know, the streaker, all of this stuff they talked about regularly um, in addition to their own a special report, right there, e three e sixty that they had on it. So uh, you you would think, Chris, if you're watching ESPN FC every night, you might be watching a completely different tournament than what they're covering on Fox.
3: <laughs> it's like it's on a different planet. I you mean, know, it's like Planet Pluto. There's a there's a World Cup happening, which is a different, uh, which is Fox's World Cup compared to the World Cup that's on on Planet Earth. One more thing, Kartik on this one too. I mean, again, listeners, if you do have other things that you've noticed. Uh, let us know. We'd love to, love to talk about that. Is the whole issue, which was which was a very serious issue, about the U.S. Soccer uh, Men's National Team social media account uh, removing the Islamic uh, Republic symbol from the flag? And as far as I can tell, Fox did not mention one word about this. Now they did mention. Uh, they showed a clip of Tyler Adams being. Um, interviewed in that press conference being asked about uh, the situation in Iran and how that compares to the United States and some of the uh, discrimination in the United States and, and, and his thoughts about that. They did cover that, which is more really, I think, probably more racial than than anything. But but Iran, the whole episode of U.S. men's national team, if, and, and for those listeners who don't know, U.S. men's national team posted, uh, I think on after that USA-England game, the group standings and didn't include the actual symbol which is the official flag of iran and i believe they did another tweet on saturday again didn't have it and then on sunday a lot of uh, the u.s soccer journalists um world soccer talk included pointed that out and were saying like hey what's going on here and then u.s men's national team responded well actually u.s soccer spokespeople re- responded to say that this was just a 24-hour thing. We wanted to make a statement against, uh, or actually for the protests in Iran um, regarding uh, a lot of the freedoms uh, that that women actually, uh, lack of freedoms really for women in Iran. Um, Fox, did, uh, fo- as far as I can tell, Fox did not even mention. They didn't even cover it. They, they, this is a huge talking point on Sunday across social media and I, I don't think they even covered it, Karthik. And, and Iran is a country that has very close ties to Qatar. Um, I, mean, I have nothing against Iranian people at all in terms of, I mean, they're good people, they're, I you mean, you mean, but the, the government has a very rocky relationship with the United States. Um, this just seemed really strange that Fox would need, not even mention any of this, especially when it, it involves the U.S. national team.
1: Yeah, very close relations with Russia, too. Uh, let's not forget they're actually uh, arming, helping to arm Russia in their current uh, uh, actions in Ukraine. So it's very strange that Fox would mention it. And, of course, Russia was the last host of the World Cup, and Fox broadcast that World Cup also and, and uh, uh, presented that as kind of an infomercial for, for, for Russia, uh, which was, I, I think, very damaging uh, in hindsight. So that's, that's yeah. the way they cover these tournaments.
3: Yeah. And again, we go back to the issue of is Fox losing the audience by by being so, I mean, so so blatantly censoring themselves and, and so hypocritical in many ways. And just I mean, just like any, any other broadcaster in the world. So if you look at Telemundo, Telemundo would have covered these details Um as would have uh, the BBC, ITV, etc., cetera, et cetera, et cetera, worldwide. And some of the feedback I've been getting for some of our uh, listeners and readers, mostly readers, or mostly on social media, has been like, well, rules are rules. And um, if Fox went ahead and started uh, talking about these things, FIFA would take the rights away from them. Well, that's not true because it, in, in that case, most, most of,
1: like FIFA wants that court battle mo-
3: over, I mean, court. yeah m- most of the broadcasters would lose the rights to the next World Cup because most of the uh, the broadcasters around the world have been and it's not like they're on a, a mission to make Qatar look bad they're just addressing it and saying hey th- these are the issues these are the things that are going on in this country and, and maybe the World Cup can be a a force to help enact change perhaps but by Fox completely ignoring it it's uh, (laughs) how much worse can you get?